The sermon is called, uh, Jesus is more important than bread. What does that mean? Um, one of the things that I found painful in lockdown was uh, not being able to feed people and listen to people uh, because everything was shut down. It was a difficult time. For the first time in world history, ministers couldn't do what ministers do to help people. Uh, the sacraments, gone. Preaching, face-to-face, gone. Singing, gone. Hugging, gone. Crying, gone. Praying, gone. And eating together, gone. And it was a real time of judgment from that perspective. It was tough for those of us in ministry from that perspective. But the manse is back open. Hey! And we're having barbecues. And if you haven't been invited, there's one coming soon, no doubt. Curries. And because I'm a progressive minister, we've even done vegan burgers for some people. It's a different world now, the other side of the pandemic. But every Sunday at six, a group of us young men, we gather and we eat together and we pray together from the church. And there's always food, because around food, bonds are formed. Care is given. Soul talk happens. Most people that eat at the Lord's table usually started off their journey of faith at a church member's table. Eating together is really important. If you can open your homes, Jesus uses food to teach lessons and save souls. Homework for you. My favorite incident of the Lord God feeding someone in the Bible and teaching them a great lesson is 1 Kings 19 where the angel of the Lord comes alongside a dejected church member who's anxious and worried and down and he bakes some bread on some coals and feeds them to him because that's what Jesus does. He feeds us when we're at our lowest. He's the friend that we need when we need a friend. Okay? And all that happens again in John chapter 6. Food, lessons. Food and lessons. And um, here's a question then. Uh, if the world shuts down again, or a storm comes and it's going to be a long one, what is the first thing to fly off the shelves in Tesco? Don't say toilet paper. Because that's what happened in the last one. That's the, that won't make sense to my sermon. Say the other answer. Bread. Thank you. Yes, bread. Maybe milk, but mainly bread. Uh, bread, because it satisfies us. And uh, it's like our bread and butter to survive. Bread. Staple part of survival. It was the same in Jesus' time. So there's bread involved in John chapter 6. And he's going to teach a lesson about the bread and butter of how to survive in life. And it's not the first time Jesus has given lots of bread to people in need. All of this is based on a very similar event in Exodus chapter 16. And they've all got this story in mind when Jesus is feeding them lots of bread here. Because they start asking him about that time with Moses when it's happened before. For those that don't know, in Moses' time, the angel of the Lord took people out of Egypt and on the way in the desert they started getting hungry and they started to grumble. So the Lord sent down bread from heaven or manna from heaven and they all ate. And in the days of Moses, as of today, um, he would, the Lord God would challenge people. Um, do you really believe that I can provide your every need? And he does that in Exodus 16, and he does it in John 6. A miracle. 
And the challenge is this, everybody. Do we believe that the Lord God is enough for this day? Just this day to get by. Don't take any food for tomorrow. That's what he says in Exodus 16. This lesson is about, am I enough for you today? Don't put bread in your pockets for tomorrow. Because that tells me that you think, I'm not going to be there for you tomorrow. So just work on today. And when I visit people in this church and they say something I like to hear. They say, all I can do is just get through one day at a time. That's how I'm going to get by. And that is a godly way to live. The Lord teaches us to pray what? Give us this day. Our daily bread. Because the Lord is in the business of being our everything that we ever need this very day. So in Exodus and John, there's a test. Do we really believe that the Lord God is all that we need? So he uses little bits of bread to teach that deep lesson. What is your true food that you long for and live for? Am I enough in your desert wilderness difficulties? Will you come to me for food and life? Where really are we? What do we reach for to cope? Okay? And the Lord gives them the command in Exodus 16. And here's my second big question. How good are God's people at obeying the commands of God? Rubbish. It's the same in Exodus 16. And it's the same now. Do not stuff your pockets for tomorrow. Eat this bread today. Trust me today. And here's Exodus 16 verse 20. However... Some of them paid no attention to the Lord and to Moses. They kept part of the bread until the next morning. But the next morning, it was full of maggots and began to smell because the Lord has to keep teaching you, you need to treasure me today. Stop aspiring for tomorrow. Just come to me today. And they say, no. And they still do that in John 6. And we do that. Today, so John 6 is the same lesson on repeat for a new generation. And this sermon is the same lesson on repeat for a new generation. What food do we really need today? And here is John 6 verse 5. A big crowd was coming. Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming towards him. Okay, so off they, on they come and here's verse 6. He said, though, uh, oh, here we are. He said to Philip, what shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this to test them. To test them. For he already had in mind what he was going to do. So up come the crowd, and Jesus thinks, ah, I'm going to do that thing that I do. I'm going to teach them a deep lesson about how they need God in life. I'm already planning it. There's the Exodus 16. And he's a bit worried about them. Uh, because, here's verse 1 and 2, he's not quite sure that they understand that he's God and he's all that we need in life. Here's 1 and 2. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is, Tiberias, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the miracles and the miraculous signs that he had done with the sick. So Jesus is worried that people might only be following him because they view him as sort of a divine vending machine and they pull the lever and out comes a goodie for them. And he's worried that that's all he is to people. So he's going to teach them a lesson. 
And here's my third big question to really involve us in this chapter, because it does really involve us. Put your hands up. No, don't. Metaphorically, put your hands up if you think God is a divine vending machine that only exists to give you worldly comforts. And I would venture to say, if we're honest, all of our hands at some points would go up. Hands up, metaphorically. If you know people who have gone through a tough time and they don't think that God behaved the way that they think he should have behaved, they asked him to do something, he gave an answer they didn't like, and they don't go to church anymore. What's the reason for that? We're all tempted to do that at times. What's the reason? We can fall into the trap of thinking, well, if I do my prayer, I pull the wheel, pull the handle, the wheel spins, he better deliver, otherwise I'm done with Park End Church. That's why a lot of our prayers are 10% worship and thanks and 90% asking for stuff. Yep, that's all of us, I think. And in John chapter 6, Jesus teaches everybody, I am not a divine vending machine to give you all worldly comforts. And Jesus teaches them he actually is going to do something much richer than that. Lasting comforts. Dream higher than that stuff. By the way, the other day, I read Acts chapter 9. And there is a very interesting verse in Acts chapter 9. There's a man called Saul, and he's about to become a Christian and change his name to Paul. You'll know him as Apostle Paul. And Jesus didn't bring him much comfort after he became a Christian. Listen to this. The Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man Saul is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show Paul how much he must suffer for my name. Like, wow. That's not the vending machine that I thought he was going to be. I'm just going to show how much he's going to suffer for me. So as far as the Apostle Paul is concerned, it was come to Jesus and your life gets a lot harder. It's not come to Jesus, get a wife. Come to Jesus, get healthy. Come to Jesus and everybody will speak nicely about you. For Paul, his experience with Jesus was, this is going to get tough. But there's a richness which is unrivaled. I'm going to learn about along the way. And ladies and gentlemen, not to frighten anybody in the room, but I've been watching how society is going after, over the last 20 years. And I think we're heading to learn those lessons again very quickly and very powerfully. I've been thinking about how church is now clashing with society more than in a long time. See, the power of the gospel in Wales and the UK left a long time ago. 1960s was probably the last glory time for the church here. And since then, things have been generally going downhill for Christianity. And there's been like a shell or a husk of Christianity left. Meaning, people still sort of behave themselves, sort of roughly of what their grands used to be like. But the thing is, they don't really have the Jesus of their grands, so their behavior is only sort of a shell. And I've noticed, and you probably have as well if you watch the news or read social media or newspapers, the shell of behavior is now coming to an end as well. Because if all you do is behave in a way that 
you think someone taught you to behave, it's not going to last. Especially when culture starts living completely opposite to what the Bible says. Those that are left just to behave themselves aren't going to last much longer. Why would you choose discomfort and a clash with your friends in society if all you've got is just a husk of a shell of Christianity anyway? And we're heading to that challenge. Did you know that in the first century, the emperor, the Roman emperor Nero killed Christians, put them on a cross, covered them in tar, set them on fire, hated them. Why did he hate them? Because he said they were haters of humanity. Not that they're just Christians, they're haters of humanity. Meaning, what I think is good for my people, the Christians stand against it. They hate where I want society to go. And that is becoming the case again. What the Bible teaches on how people should live, the wider world now doesn't just think, ah, that's funny, make believe stuff, bless them. They think that is immoral and evil. And we want to snuff them out. They stand for things that we now call hateful. And so Christendom, everybody, is by and large crumbling in the West. Look at us. We're not what we once were. Look at the churches around. Not what they once were. We are going to suffer for Christ. It's coming. And He's not going to be the dispenser of worldly comforts for much longer. And we've all been enjoying those things. In the next few years, jobs will be lost. Promotions will be missed for the Christians. Laws will be passed. Prisons will be filled for people who stand for the Bible, as is already happening in other countries. And people will not return to church if they just came for the social credit. Because there's no credit anymore. That was the 50s and 60s. It's not going to be possible to believe in a God and hang on in there if all you want is worldly comforts. But it'll be okay. It will be okay because Jesus is about serving and feeding His people with something much more than worldly comforts. So it will be okay. Whatever befalls us, it will be okay for the Christians. And Jesus teaches them that by doing a miracle. In John chapter 6, and in 9 to 13, you knew it because you probably taught it in Sunday school. There's a boy, five loaves, a few fish, 5,000 people fed. And he's going to teach them a lesson. I love those bits about Jesus where he just peels back a bit of who he is. He does it like creation just panders to him. Um, You remember when he needed some money and there was a fish. And he says to the fish, give me some money. And the fish is like, yeah, bleh. And out comes, just in control of creation. When the weather misbehaves, he just goes, stop. And the weather goes, nope, yes, sir, over to you. Here, the bread, I just picture the bread going, yeah, uh, uh, yeah I'll just keep giving. Because I know who you are. And 5,000 people get fed. Why? Because Jesus is Lord. He's the life-giving Adam. He's the hero that the children need to hear about. He's the hero that the adults need to hear about. He comes from the world of pure power that we all need to dream of more. And in verses 14 to 15, which Sam read very well, the crowd get all enthusiastic. I'm just going to reread it. 
14 and 15. They liked the bread trick. After the people saw the miraculous sign that Jesus did, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who has come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. All hail the divine bread vending machine. Jesus says, no, I'm off. Still haven't got it. I'm not a trickster. I'm a savior. I'm the alpha and the omega. I am the potter. You are the clay. I'm off and we'll work this again in a bit. And then, ladies and gentlemen, we come to a part that I find quite funny. You might not, but I do. And it's chunk 16 to 21, which we didn't read because of time, but it's called Jesus Walks on Water. And here's why I find it funny. Later that day, there's a storm. The disciples are on a lake. They get scared. Jesus isn't with them. Then Jesus walks on water and gets in the boat with them, and they're not scared anymore because he's got his, pre their, his presence in the boat with them. Here's what's funny. It's wedged between the feeding of the 5,000 and then the explanation of the feeding of the 5,000, and John doesn't even bother to really explain why it's there. I find that quite funny. If I had appointed John to be my biographer, and I walked on water, I'd say, John, can you give that bit a bit more ink than you have done? That's quite impressive stuff. But John doesn't do that. He wedges in the walking of the water, and then gets back to the bread bit. Why does he do that, Owen? Good question. Because John doesn't think he needs to explain that. Because John thinks the water bit is to emphasize the big point that he thinks Jesus is making about the bread bit. Here's verse 25 and 26. This is just after the walking on the water. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus says, I tell you the truth. You were looking for me, not because uh, you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. I'd be like, should we talk about the water bit? Nope. Straight back to the bread. And so, John is trying to make a point as we get near the end of this passage. Well, Owen, what is John's important point that the bread story and then the water story is? Well, before I tell you that, I just want to tell you one tiny little thing. Here's the important thing. The story that John is telling is for God's people. Primarily for everyone gathered here. Because if we don't get this point, the world is never going to get this point. If we don't understand who Jesus is, nobody's got a hope of understanding who Jesus is. And I base that on, in verse 12, there were 12 baskets of bread left over. And you know the disciples are thinking, the 12 disciples think, I think he's got us in mind here, boys. I think we're learning something. There's a basket here for each of us. Not only that, in verse 21, it says we were frightened until he got in the boat with us, the disciples. So are you ready to learn a lesson? Whether we're hungry or in dangerous storms of life, what is it that the church needs to grasp? Well, here it is. The last chunk of verses of the day, 32 to 35. Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth. It is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God 
is He who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, where do we get this bread? Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry. And he who believes in me will never be thirsty. The bread, the water are serving to show you who the Christ is. I am more than a miracle man. I am the bread of life. I'm hungry. I'm worried. I'm in a storm. I've got cancer. I'm in sin. I am what you need this day. This day. You need me in your boat. You need me in spiritual hunger. Not just on the physical. You need me deeply. So he says to people with a vague interest in him. Ask yourselves. Where do you reach for life this day? What dreams do you chase? Bread that goes moldy? Or the bread of life? In your day-to-day decisions, what dreams are you chasing? What are you working for your whole life? And in the big issues when we're facing death, do you have the bread of life which never goes off? Have you got it? It's me. Are you safe in my arms forever? One of the greatest dangers of humanity is this. Our lives can be spent creating and defending dreams and identities that fail. Ladies and gentlemen, beauty fades. Wealth evaporates. Health declines. People die. Your family will grow up and move out. Your sports team will get promoted and then get relegated. And then get relegated again. Beauty will go up, and then you'll lose it. You'll be laughed at by the new generation that come, and they'll say, you don't understand the world at all. What are you still doing? Clear off. My dad was in HSBC over there the other day. They've changed the machines again. He's like, I can't keep up. I need help again. And then the lady came up, and he said, this world is leaving me behind. What does she really care? She's thinking, yep, yep, next. Health will fade. Dreams die. All dreams outside of the Lord Jesus Christ fail. And we put too much expectation on them along the way. They get crushed under the weight of the impossible expectations that only the Lord Jesus Christ can truly hold up. I am the bread. I am the answer to all of your questions. I am the God of the last minute and the darkest hour. I'm not a trickster. I'll be your best friend. I'll bring you to my Father. I'll share with you His Spirit. You can taste of everlasting life now in your desert days. He's teaching them to agree with Lord Alfred Tennyson that said this, Jesus' character was more wonderful than His greatest miracle. And when I am people's bread and butter, their basic survival kit, they are satisfied. Jesus is more important than bread. Do not 
Dream low dreams as you leave church this day. Be grateful for everything you've got and the bread in your fridge and the jobs you've got and the money coming in. Do not be too focused on them. That is moldy bread and choppy seas. This is the gospel. Wherever He takes us, He is enough. The apostles were crucified upside down. Jesus is enough. The apostles were boiled in oil for being Christians. Jesus was enough. Isaiah was sawn in half for being a believer. Jesus is enough. James was thrown off a building. Jesus is enough. Spurgeon, one of the greatest preachers that ever lived, had depression all his days and he died. Jesus is enough. And all of those are more alive now than they've ever been before. Oh, and what do we do? Believe on the one that God the Father has sent. In the name of the Father, the Son, and in the Holy Spirit, He has died for us. He is in our boat. Amen.